It's truly a wonderful day. And I am so thankful to be here with all of you to worship God in spirit and in truth. As has been mentioned already, we're so thankful for everyone for being here, and we're thankful for our visitors. And we want you to feel as you are, and that is our honored guest. We welcome you every time that we have an occasion to meet. I also want to thank the men who led the singing this morning. How fitting and proper all of the songs that we sung, how fitting and proper it is leading into a study. And the title is, I Am the Bread of Life. We're going to talk about Jesus today. You know, I had made the announcement a while back that I was going to begin a series on the seven I Am statements of Jesus as found in the Gospel of John. And last time I talked on Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Today, we want to talk about the one that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Just really quickly, the Old Testament background references back to Exodus chapter 16, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and the psalmist David mentions it also in Psalm 78. In other words, it reflects back on a time when God's people received bread from heaven literally. And Jesus, though, comes on the scene and he says, I am the true bread of heaven. So there were the Old Testament background passages, but the New Testament fulfillment is found in John chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 28 as our introductory text. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. This was a dialogue that Jesus had with those Jewish people. And it was after a time that Jesus had performed many miracles. And very recently, at the beginning part of this chapter, it's when Jesus fed the 5,000. And the Bible says that he did so in the New King James. It says, with five barley loaves and two small fishes. I want to make a little side point here. Years ago, I saw a program on TV. It was a movie. And it was a movie about Jesus. And it was during the ministry of Jesus. And it showed that Jesus performs this miracle and has this great big basket. And as he dumped out the basket, all the trout came out. Great big fish like this, pouring out. I just wanted to make the point that's not the kind of fish that we're talking about. We're talking about somebody's lunch. There was five barley loaves and two small fishes. They would have kind of been like sardines. And Jesus takes that and performs this great miracle and fills up all those baskets and he did so with five barley loaves and two small sardines or fishes. Okay. I would imagine there's a lot of people that want to follow Jesus now when he performed that miracle. And he fed them physically. There was a lot of people that followed Jesus because of that too. 
But I think there's a parallel, and I think there's a lesson for us to learn today. I think there were people back then that followed Jesus for the loaves and the fishes. In other words, what I can get physically or what I can get, what I need, and get my needs filled up, whatever, the sandwich or whatever. And I think that really is a picture of sometimes people today. Some people follow Jesus because they love Jesus, because they recognize who he is, and they want to change their life, and that's wonderful. But sometimes, even today, people follow Jesus for the loaves and the fishes about what they can get from it. There was many that were following Jesus for all manner of reasons. Now, this is a very, very important point. What they didn't recognize is Jesus was the divine Messiah. That's the whole point. He is the divine Messiah. And he repeats this statement over and over again. He says, I am the bread of life. A truly shocking day toward the end of the Galilean ministry of Jesus. And he's teaching these Jewish people in the synagogue of Capernaum. Now, let's talk about the seven I am statements of Jesus. And I didn't put this on the screen last time. I'm going to do it now. What are the seven I am statements of Jesus? Well, here, we, here they are. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He said, I'm the light of the world. He said, I am the door or the gate. He said, I'm the good shepherd. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, he said, I am the true vine. But I got to say, and I wanted to make this point, and by the way, when I decided to teach on this subject, on this series of the I Am Statements of Jesus, I was planning on slipping in an eighth one. I got to do it. And it's not going to take very long, but I got to slip it in. I think it's incredible. And I don't think it's an accident. In John chapter 19, actually John chapter 18, this is when Jesus was arrested in the garden. I'm going to be very brief about this. Jesus was arrested in the garden, and he applies the name of God, I am, to himself. You remember what happens? He had prayed to his father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And the cup has to be the suffering, the cup of suffering on the cross. Surely it included that, but not exclusively, not limited to. It has to be something else. It was God's divine wrath on sin. In other words, God took the sins of the world and put them on Jesus. And Jesus says to his father, knowing he'd have to do it all alone without his father, he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Finally, with a determined resolve, he said, if there's no other way except I drink it, your will be done. And then all of a sudden, here come those that are going to be his captors. Here come those that are going to arrest him. Notice John 18, verse 3. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops. I think the King James says a band of men. But what is that? A detachment of troops or a band of men was a Roman cohort. This is amazing. Roman armies were broken down into legions. One legion was 10 cohorts. 10 cohorts was 5,000 men. Okay? So one cohort, a Roman cohort, a detachment of troops, came to arrest Jesus that means 500 men came. Plus, in addition to that, officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. Now, i got to tell you, that's a lot of guys to go out and arrest a Galilean carpenter and his friends. 
And I say that not with disrespect. I say that because that's all they recognize Jesus as being. Now, notice what happens. This is really incredible to me. I think this is great. In John chapter 18, beginning in verse 4. This is the Savior, by the way, that we serve. This is the one that was going through or going to have the worst thing you could possibly imagine happen to him. And he was thinking about his own. And he still does that today. The Lord's thinking about his own. Notice what happens. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with him, with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. All right. Now, not once but twice. Okay, this is the obvious part. Not, this is the obvious part. Not once but twice. Jesus asked them, who are you looking for? And he made them commit to Jesus. We're only looking for Jesus of Nazareth. A second time, he says, I ask again, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus says, I've already told you that that's me, so that's me. Let these go. And he protected his disciples so they wouldn't arrest the disciples too. But you know something that's interesting in the original language? That's the obvious part. Here's the maybe not so obvious part. The word he in this passage is in italics. The word he being in italics, and the reason that it's in, in italics is, it, is because it was not found in the original. It was added by the translators for clarity purposes. So, what does it really say in the original? This is what it says. Whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus said, I am. That's what he said. I'm God. I am deity. I am God the Son. I am divine. Notice what happens. And they drew back and fell to the ground. You might remember I made this point years ago when I was teaching on the last week in the life of Jesus, but it's really incredible to me how people try to explain it away. Why can't we just read what the Bible says? One commentator said, well, what happened is they were so stunned and shocked that they found him so quickly they just fainted. Another, another commentator says, oh, well, one guy kind of stumbled into this guy, and that guy stumbled into that guy, and that guy to that guy, and pretty soon they all fell down like dominoes. These were Roman soldiers. You don't think they could stand up? You know why they fell to the ground? Because Jesus expressed his name, the name that's attributed to God. He is God the Son. He said, I am, and in the power of that, they all fell down. You know, it's interesting, though. They all fell down, and then they got back up. And they were unfazed. Don't ever let that be to us. Whether when you look at your life, don't ever be unfazed by what Jesus is, who Jesus is, and what he does for us. Don't be unfazed. Have it affect your life and change your life. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, you remember this last time. What was he saying? When he said, I am, he was saying, I am God. Now, not God the Father, but God the Son. I am deity. When he said, the light of the world, when he says, I'm the light of the world, it means I'm the Messiah. So, what is he saying? I am, meaning divine, light of the world, meaning Messiah. Put it together, Jesus was saying, I am the divine Messiah. 
Messiah. So the I am statements of Jesus on the part of him are making it clear that he is deity. And then he uses various metaphors to describe the nature of his work. A very powerful claim. Jesus is also going to say this too, by the way. He's going to say that if you want eternal life, and we're going to clarify this later, but if you want eternal life, you have to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood. Okay, stay tuned on that. We're going to get to that at the end. Now, we don't know what that means yet, but what we know is what he said. He said, unless you want, if you want eternal life, you have to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood. Well, the Jews understood all about eternal life. They knew what that meant. They knew that that meant I get to go be with God for eternity in heaven. Jesus says, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Now, I don't think anything is an accident in the Bible. You know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We all know that, right? You know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. No accident there. He's the bread of life. He's the bread that comes down from heaven. He's the Father's gift to the world, the bread of life, born in a place that just happens to be or happens to be defined as a house of bread. Okay, the sermon in John chapter 6 and beginning in verse 32. This is a long passage. We're not going to go through all the verses beforehand. We're going to reference them as we go. But of all those passages we find that there, it can be broken down into two categories. Number one, very important, God's divine provision of the bread. In other words, God providing it. That's the divine side. And the second thing that we need to understand is the human appropriation of the bread. What do I mean by appropriation? Appropriation means taking something for one's own use. In other words, I have a responsibility to take what God has given me for my use. That's number one. Number two idea of appropriation. It's devoting to a special purpose. That's what God wants. He wants us to take what Jesus brings for personal use, spiritually speaking, and he wants us to devote ourselves to that special purpose of being a Christian. Okay, let's begin, first of all, God's provision of the bread. There's uh, some features that I want to talk about, several features about God's provision of this bread. Number one, the bread is divinely preexistent. That means that Jesus has always existed. I don't know how many times we're going to hit this. We hit it last time. Got to do it. Jesus has always existed. But in John chapter 6 and verse 32, let's notice about the bread. Jesus, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. So number one, in God's provision, Jesus is preexistent divinely. First of all, what do we know now? We know that the father gives the true bread from heaven. Let's go further. Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. God gives the bread. Where does it come from? Heaven. What is the bread? It's he who comes down from heaven. Then Jesus said, I have come down from heaven. I am the bread of life. And you know, these people that were listening to Jesus, no doubt they were shocked in disbelief. In fact, they said this too. How can he say 
that he is from heaven when we know who his parents are. They missed the whole point. They missed the entire point. Jesus says, I've come down from heaven. So what do we know? It come, the bread comes from God. Where is that? From heaven. Who is it? It's the one that comes from heaven. And who is that? That is Jesus who came down from heaven. Every time we see that repeated, we're talking about the incarnation of a pre-existent person. Jesus did not come into existence. He came down out of heaven. And over and over, he speaks of his pre-existence. So, therefore, remember this too. In John chapter 1, this is as John begins the gospel of John. Very important. He said, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Who's that? Down to verse 14 of John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's Jesus. Preexistent. Preexistent. So, what is Jesus? He's preexistent with God. He's always existed. He is coexistent with God. He is also self-existent with God eternally. God, Jesus was not a created being. All right, back to John chapter 3 and verse 13, though. I think there's a helpful, a helpful statement here in the Lord's conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus is talking to this man, Nicodemus, and this is what he says. No one has ascended to the Father... But he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Okay, little reminder, okay? Who's the Son of Man? Well, it's Jesus. And sometimes the New Testament describes Jesus as the Son of God, and sometimes it describes him as the Son of Man. Sometimes people think what that means is he had a heavenly father and he also had earthly parents. That's not true. When Jesus said, I'm the son of God, he was saying, I'm divine. Our Messiah was fully divine. That's the divine side. But it also says, in fact, 80 times, I think, in the New Testament, it describes Jesus as the son of man in the Gospels. That's still our Messiah. But son of man represents the human side. So he was son of God, fully divine. He was son of man, fully human. That's what Jesus was when he came to this earth, but he always existed. He existed before that. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven always existed. So let me just say, please, remember this passage when you ever hear of a book that's written, and the book might say that a guy went and took a, took a trip to heaven and got a message and came back. I'm not trying to, I'm not making fun. I'm just telling you folks, no, no, they didn't. That is the exclusive right of the Son of God. The one that came from heaven. And the only one that's ever come from heaven and brought a message to earth is Jesus. Not some fellow that decided he went there and came back. All right, well, 
Let's go one step further about the message. Sometimes people say that they met with God or they met God and got a fresh message. And here's the message to tell, the testimonial to tell. I got a phone call from somebody the other day, and they left a message on my machine, my voicemail. I don't even, I don't know who it was. But the, the person's message was, I've just got a special revelation from God. I got this from God in a vision, and I want to tell you about it. The only one that's ever done that is Jesus that brought a message from God. Okay, well, what about this? You might say, wait a minute now. What about the Apostle Paul? In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to those at Corinth, and he describes himself. And he says, you know, 14 years ago, this is Paul now speaking. He said, 14 years ago, whether I was in the body or out of the body, I, I can't tell, only God knows. He said, I was taken up into the third heaven. And he heard things that are inexpressible. Did he bring back a message? No. In fact, as a, a paraphrase, he said this. I can't even speak of the things that were there. I can't even speak of it. And you know what also Paul says as he wrote to those at Corinth? He said, oh, and by the way, so that I didn't feel too uh, high and mighty about myself to keep my feet on the ground in my humility. You know what Paul said? I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. He prayed, please take it away. You know what the Lord said? Nope, my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to have that for the rest of your life. Did he bring back a message? No. No, he didn't. There were things that he couldn't even express. So, Jesus is the only one that does that. Here's one more passage. Here's further proof, please. John 6 and 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. So, only Jesus is preexistent, and that's what we know. What else? Not only is he preexistent in the coming of the bread, but secondly, secondly, he comes with a divine purpose. There's a divine purpose that's tied to the eternal preexistence. And that took planning. In verse 32, at the end of verse 32, it says, My Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Then in verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. i got to say, we can really learn from language like that, can't we? I think we live kind of in a society today where people want, it's what I want. I want things my way. Remember that, you know, like that song, I did it my way? Everybody wants to do it my way. And I understand, I understand where that's coming from too, but sometimes we don't want to be told what to do. I want to do it my way. I want to pave my own way. And I don't want to be told how to do it. Well, let's look at the greatest one that ever lived, the one that is perfect, the one that died for your sins and mine, the one that was the bread from heaven that God sent down, the only one that's come down from heaven with a message, all of that. Look what he did. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's the perfect example of what we should be. What a great example. You know, the Bible says about the purpose of God. Nothing God has ever done was an afterthought. God knew that man would fall in the garden. He knew that. In fact, the Bible says that known unto God are all his works even from the beginning. You know what else it says? 
It was before the foundation of the earth. It was predetermined by God that Jesus Christ would be the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. It was always the plan. God purposed that. Divine purpose. Okay? He not only purposed to send his son, but he purposed what his son would accomplish when he was here. In verse 40, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. Notice, it's God's will that everybody obey Jesus. That's God's will. And then have eternal life. So Jesus can raise him up on the last day and go to heaven and be with God for eternity. That's what God wants. That's God's plan. He wants everybody to come to Jesus and come in obedience to him. And notice in verse 44, sometimes this verse is misunderstood. So we'll talk about that. No one can come to me except the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up the last day. Do you see this right here? No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, Here's a false interpretation of this passage. This is what it doesn't mean. But commonly, some people have said, you see, there's nothing really that I can do to come to Jesus unless God has chosen me predestination. God has chosen me to be a Christian, or God chose me. By the way, it had nothing to do with my will, but he just made the choice that I'm going to be saved or not. That's not what that means. It does say the Father draws him. But the question is, how does the Father draw? So what we know for sure is, Jesus said, nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, draws here means taught. It means taught. That's why we got to preach the gospel. Got to teach you know, this fits Old Testament language. It fits the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 54 and 13. Jesus quotes from that in the very next verse. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So the question is how? How has all that happened? God purposes to send his son. God draws his people by means of the gospel. That's so simple. I'll tell you what, it's so simple a preacher's got, it'd it take a preacher to mess it up. It is so simple. God's plan was for you to come to Jesus and have everlasting life. You know that when you hear it from the word of God. And that's how God teaches you. It's through the word. It's through his gospel. When you read in the gospel, which is the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, greatest story ever told, when you read that, you come to Jesus and be saved, and that's exactly what the Father has always wanted. He always had that as his divine purpose. Okay, so the bread is divinely preexistent. It's, uh, also, it fulfills a divine purpose, but thirdly, there's a divine promise. Why do we want this bread? And what does it do for us? What does it do for us? In verse 33, 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. We know who that is. That's Jesus. And what happens? He gives life to the world. You know, there's two different words for life. One is biological life. It's a Greek word that describes biological life. And all of us uh, are familiar with that because all of us have biological life. We, we're living. Okay? That's one word. This word life does not mean biological life. It's that Greek word, and it means spiritual life. I got to have the bread because I want spiritual life. That's the only way that I can have it. If I want spiritual life, I got to have the bread. All right, verse 51. I am the living bread. Notice the, the words that describe it. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So we're talking about eternal life. Verses 53 and 54. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. We will get back to the phrase, as I said before. What did he mean when he said, you got to eat the flesh of the Son of Man? Jesus saying, if you want eternal life, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. We'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Here's the question before us, though. How do mortal bodies like us, mortal people, Mortal people living in the flesh. How is a guy like me going to get life in here? The only way you get spiritual life in here, only way, is with a union with Jesus Christ. That's it. You can't have everlasting life without coming into a union with Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Galatians chapter 2. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no, more, no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice what he says. It's Christ that lives in me. So, I got to get Christ living in me if I'm going to have eternal life. Got to have that. I got to have a union with Jesus Christ. He has to be in me. And may I just say, he's not in you if you are not in him. How do you get in him? Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ have put on Christ. In other words, and one translation says literally, you have clothed yourself with Christ. You know the concept of being in Christ and the concept of Christ being in you? It's really simple. You might remember that old uh, analogy I gave years and years ago about the bottle. If you have an empty bottle, you know what the empty bottle represents? The empty bottle represents somebody that's in the world that doesn't have Jesus. And then you go over to a body of water and you take that bottle and you submerge it in the water and all the water runs inside the bottle and then you hold it up and what do you got? You got the water in the bottle. That's a picture of Christ in you. But notice, Christ did not get in you until you got in Christ. The bottle was, in other words, 
Christ, the water is not in the bottle until the bottle is in the water. That's baptism. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. All right, there's more. Let's talk about this. Let's, we, we, let's talk about the human appropriation of it. And again, I mean by that, taking for one's own use and devoting yourself special to a special purpose of being a Christian. So let's talk about human appropriation. What's our responsibility? Our responsibility, is our responsibility just to kind of sit around and just kind of let things happen? Or do I have to act? Don't I have to act on it? i got to do something. What's my responsibility? John 6 and 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. That's the first thing I have to do. I have to come to Jesus. Remember that song we sang this morning, He can save you? He can heal you? Your broken life. And He can make you whole. And nobody else can. But you got to come to Him. You got to act. You got to take the bread. You got to do something with it. The first thing is to come, but there's a second thing too, and it's found in verse 40. Notice in verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son of Man, the Son, and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Notice. You got to come to Jesus, but there's more. You have to see. What does that mean? That word in the original is a Greek verb, and it means this scrutinize, study, and gaze upon. That's what that means to see. In other words, I got to look carefully to see who Jesus is and how he can change my life. All right, back to, back to verse 35. There's another word that really is critical. Very critical is John 6 and 35. And Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. you got to believe. The question is, what does it mean to believe? There's a lot of folks that perhaps might say that they believe something, and really all they're saying or could be saying is they believe in the concept. I think there's a lot of people that believe that there's one God. I think there's a lot of people that believe that his son Jesus died for your sins. I think there's a lot of people that believe that. Maybe I'm speaking to people today that 100% of you believe that. Surely, we believe that. But that's not what the word belief means. In Mark 16, 16, when Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. What he was saying is you have to believe with the force to obey. In other words, remember what we said. How does one come to Jesus when they're taught by God? How are they taught by God? Through the gospel, through the word of God. And then what happens? They're led to Jesus. They come to Jesus. But there's more. We have to see and believe. We have to see. All right, going back to the metaphor of bread now. John 6 and 50. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. So what is believing? Believing is eating. Taking in. Just like you would food. 
Believing is eating. Eating is taking in, receiving, and appropriating. You have to do that to have the benefit of what Jesus has done. Verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. What a powerful metaphor. You've got to take me in, Jesus said. You have to receive me. You have to take it in. You have to eat. But there's more also. In verses 53 through 56. And I told you we're going to get to this. Here it comes. Here we are. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. All right, first of all, Take your mind's eye back to the synagogue in Capernaum. And take your mind back perhaps to how they would have received such a statement that Jesus says, you got to drink my blood. Maybe Leviticus kicked in. You know, maybe Leviticus 17 or Deuteronomy 12 or Deuteronomy 15 kicked in where it was forbidden for God's people to drink blood. And yet now you've got Jesus, and he said, unless you drink my blood, you have no eternal life. If you do, you also, you do have eternal life. This is what they didn't understand. Jesus was not talking about literal blood, and stay with me, this is a common mistake. And he was also not talking about the communion or the Lord's Supper. If he was talking about the communion, the Lord's Supper, that gives life, eternal life, and the condition is, unless you do that, you don't have eternal life, then that would mean this. We've already, we've already shown that baptism is what saves us when you contact the blood of Jesus. So if it's talking about the communion, then a person, if that's what that is, a person could be baptized on Friday, die on Saturday, and never show up on the Lord's Day and have communion, they're going to be lost. That won't work. It's not literal blood, and it's not the communion. So, what is it? What is he saying? Well, first of all, blood is a metonymy. And by the way, it's just a fancy word that's used uh, as a substitute for another word. Okay? So blood is a substitute for his sacrificial death. That's what he's talking about. It's his sacrificial death. That's the blood that he's talking about. In other words, what he's saying is this. You have to accept the person that I am, and you have to accept the way that I die. In other words, as bread, Jesus nourishes. As blood, he cleanses. How do you do all that? You know, it's amazing to me that the great promises that we have. Remember when Paul was on the Damascus Road and God told him, Lord told him what to do and go into Damascus and go down the street and it's going to be told you what to do and all that. And He's praying for three days. And you know something interesting? He prayed for three days and yet he still had his sins. Do you know why? Because you can't pray your sins away. 
You need the blood of Jesus. Blood cleanses. So Ananias walked in after a man was certainly sorry for the life that he lived. But for three days, he couldn't pray away his sins. So you know what Ananias said? Here's what he said. Hey, by the way, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And by the way, calling on the name of the Lord means obeying the Lord, obeying the gospel. It doesn't mean anything you say. He'd been saying stuff for three days. But you call on the name of the Lord when you are baptized and you obey the Lord. That's the cleansing part of the blood of Jesus. But, you know, there's something that's really incredible. Because I tell you right, right now, none of us are perfect. And we are going to make mistakes. And we are going to sin. Yes, we are. But every night when our hearts are correct and our hearts are right, when we go to God in prayer, do you know that when you're baptized, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from your past sins? But you still have the blood of Christ. So when I sin tomorrow accidentally or whatever, when I sin, the blood of Jesus will maintain me also. How's that? 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what that means? That when you ask for forgiveness after you have the blood of Jesus applied at baptism, God forgives it and even removes the contamination of it. That's what it means to be cleansed. That's great stuff. That's great stuff. Through confession and prayer. And that's confession to God. So, to eat the flesh, you got to be able to eat the flesh in the sense that you take him in. Take in the one who nourishes the soul. Having belief that has the force to obey and be willing to drink his blood in the sense that you accept his sacrificial death. Now, what is the act that shows that I've accepted his sacrificial death? Here it is. Romans 6 beginning in verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You show and demonstrate that you accept his death by being baptized into Jesus Christ into his death. And as Jesus died, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. When you're baptized for the remission of sins, you are fully immersed. You die to sin, great stuff. You rise to walk in newness of life. And you got the blood of Jesus for the rest of your life. You have access to it. That's great. So eating, remember, eating is a response to hunger. What about spiritual hunger? And I'm almost finished. Spiritual hunger is the aching of the heart. Of the one he knows who knows he's empty. The one that knows he's empty. You take in the bread of this life personally. By doing so, it transforms your life. It's transformational. It changes everything. It's out there for the taking. The offer is there. It's the lifeline. You're sinking in a world of sin because everybody comes from that same place. 
and the lifeline is Jesus, but you have to grab the lifeline. You got to take it. Some people back then were not willing to accept what Jesus had to say, and this is what happened as we close our lesson. In verse 60, therefore many of the disciples, when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, and who can understand it? 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. It was too much. It was too much to take. Can you imagine the, the tone? Can you just almost hear the tone in the mouth of Jesus as Jesus said, do you also want to go away? There's a lot of people that leave the Lord. But the question really is this, what about you? The Lord may be saying this, what, what about you? Are you also going to go away? You know, Peter said, Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's all that matters. He's the bread of life. I'm finished. You've been a wonderful audience. I thank you so much for your intent listening. I've talked a long time. But I thank you very much for your listening today. And I hope and I pray that what we had to consider will give you a greater appreciation for Jesus. No matter who you are, have a greater appreciation for Jesus. And for God who sent down this price that had to be paid so you can have eternal life. May it, may it help you to draw ever closer to Jesus and be thankful to him and serve him better than you've ever done in days gone by. Are you here today? You're not a Christian. We never know the hearts and minds of all those that are here, but if you're not a Christian, come believing in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Decide, I'm going to make a change in my life. Repent of your sins. Confess the name of Jesus Christ. Say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. All these steps lead to the point of salvation. They are unto or up to salvation. But then be baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Have your sins washed away. Become a child of God. And Jesus will add you to his church at the very same time. Be one of either class. If there's somebody here that has drifted away and needs to come back to the Lord, if that is the case, come forward while we stand, while we sing. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.